Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. While the kids are getting their boards, I'd invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. You may be wondering, uh, wait, I thought we were um, being abused by the book of Hosea for a while. Um, And we have been. Uh, But if you remember, uh, our normal kind of preaching pattern uh, is we we go in kind of two-month cycles. So we do two months in a book of the Old Testament, and then two months in a book of the New Testament, and then two months in another kind of series, and and usually that lines up with like Advent or something like that. So we we have finished, we we get a a reprieve from Hosea for uh, for about four months, um, and and we're going to go back to the book of Mark, uh, which we had begun a while back, and we're going to pick up where we were in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him earnestly, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, or Jesus looked earnestly at them and said, With man it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Most gracious Father, as we come once again to your word, I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit that I may proclaim your gospel that by your spirit you would illumine our hearts and minds that we may understand your word. That the meditations of our hearts 
as we think about your gospel and the goodness of it and to what we have been called might rightly exalt Christ our Savior and rest holy in him. Amen. Well, as we come to this passage, which, which is a, a difficult passage for, uh, for you know, people that, that live, uh, I mean, pretty much all of us uh, in comparison to the rest of the world, uh, live very well off. And, and we hear this passage that, that clearly has to do with riches, and, and it's hard, and, and there's oftentimes temptation to try to get out from under this passage in some way or another. So, so two things that we have to let this passage do. First, we, we have to let this passage say what it actually says. We've got to let it say what it says. And, and it does say that, hey, riches, worldly possessions, worldly wealth, that does make it hard. It, it does. But we also have to let it mean what it actually means. And that is that if we are relying on anything other than Jesus, it's impossible to get into the kingdom of heaven. So so Jesus, because of the, the situation of this guy coming to him, uses the point of riches to make his point about entering the kingdom of God. But it actually extends much further than that. Okay, so, so let's jump in. And, and as we do, it's, it's helpful since it's been a little bit since we've been in the book of Mark to kind of get a little bit of the context because it's, it's very helpful to see kind of what this story, remember there's, there's this thing that we've talked about before called the Markin sandwich where he kind of puts things together with two pieces of bread and some meat in the middle. Well, we, we kind of see that happening here. You've got on one hand this story about children coming, bringing nothing and being received. And then on the, on the next story that, that we'll look at next week, you've got Jesus talking about going to the cross and losing everything so that we can be received. And right here in the middle, you have this story about this guy being asked to give up everything and receive Jesus and follow him. Okay, so, so, so there's clearly this connection between these stories thematically, that they're connected, that they have to do with the fact that we bring nothing. That we bring nothing when we come to Christ that's of any value in entering the kingdom of heaven. So let's jump in then to the story. And at the very beginning, in verse 17, we see uh, this question asked, and it's kind of a right question, but it's also a very, very wrong question. Jesus is continuing on his journey, uh, and, and someone comes up to him, and, and there is a sincerity to this man. He comes up, he runs up to Jesus, he wants to catch him before he leaves, and he kneels down before him. He, he, he comes, and, and it says he bows, he, he falls down before Jesus, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know, what is the way in to the promised life of your word? What do we do? How do we get in? And we see this question asked in different ways. He's essentially asking, how can I be saved? 
And in that sense, it's, it's the right question. It is the question that we should ask. What's the way into the kingdom of God? But if we pay close attention to how he asks this question, we, we see that it's also a very wrong question. Because he says, what must I do to inherit it? What do I need to do, Jesus, to get in the good favor of the Father? What do I need to do? And, and that's a really problematic question. I mean, that's a soul-crushing question. Because there's nothing that we can do. If it's up to us, if it's up to our works, if, 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 if Jesus answered this question in a way that he was actually giving us a checklist, well, then none of us would inherit eternal life. But that's what this guy's asking for. And, and so Jesus, as he often does when he gets questions like this, doesn't just answer it directly. He, he begins, and we, we see his initial response in verses 18 and 19. He begins by kind of, in, in verse 18, kind of making this random kind of theological point, kind of schooling this guy a little bit theologically. He's not being mean to him. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In, in, in the Jewish world, I mean, to, to literally Yahweh was the only one that was called good. And so Jesus is saying, look, are you recognizing that I'm, he's kind of backing this guy into a corner in a little bit, a little, you know, kind of a, a, a gracious way? Because he's driving him back to, to the Shema, to Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus answers, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It can also be translated, except for the one God. So, so he's kind of pushing this guy into a little bit of a corner. It, it's gracious. It's one of these wounds of grace that we talked about last week. He's kind of pushing him into this corner saying, whoa, whoa. I'm not saying you're wrong. But why are you calling me good? In, in this way, Jesus is kind of making this veiled reference to, to his own divinity. But then he, he, he doesn't preach the gospel to this guy. I mean, if, if I were to teach a personal evangelism course, this would be an example of what not to do. If someone comes and is like, what must I do to be saved? I would say, that's where you say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But Jesus doesn't do that. At any point, and it's not like he gets around to it later either, just so that we're clear. Why? Well, because oftentimes what we see with Christ is when people come to him thinking they've kept the law, and thinking that that's the way in. He gives them more law to show them that they haven't. But when people come to him, like we've been instructed to do in Hosea and in Jeremiah, when people come to him as sinners saying, oh, no, 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 don't give me law. I haven't done any of that. He doesn't respond to him in anger, but in mercy and forgiveness. 
So this dude shows up, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, let's talk about it. You know the commandments. And then he lists mostly things from the second table of the law. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, do not defraud. That that actually doesn't come from the, the second table of the law. Honor your father and mother. He just gives them rules. Oh, do these things. Get this right. If you think it's about what you do, here you go. And the guy responds, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, we've got to be careful here. Because in our kind of very Protestant, law-grace dichotomy mindset, it's easy for us to hear that and be like, who does this dude think he is? Has he not read Martin Luther? Does he not know that his heart is a perpetual factory of idols? Well, no, he hasn't, for obvious reasons. And he probably hadn't even heard the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus expounded on the law. And, and, and told us that it's really about the heart. So we've got to be careful with what we do with this guy. It's easy for us to just like, just treat this guy a lot like he's either arrogant and just like, can you believe this dude? That he would show up thinking he had done this? Or that, that he's just lying as if he could pull one over on Jesus? Or, or that he's just absolutely ignorant and just doesn't get it at all? Like It's easy for us to think about him in those terms. But we have to remember that, that this one dude who was like the preeminent preacher of grace, a guy named Paul, was able to say with a straight face, as to the law, I'm blameless. Not what you would expect to hear from Paul. So what was going on there? Well, they understood that the way that they thought about the law was that it says don't murder. If I haven't actually murdered someone... I've obeyed. Don't commit adultery. If I haven't actually committed adultery, slept with someone that's not my wife, then I've obeyed. So there's a sense in which he could, with a straight face, say, I've done all that. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't defrauded anybody. I have. I mean, there's a sense in which he could say, no, 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 I've done those things. And then even in the way Jesus responds to him, we see that Jesus doesn't give the normal response for someone thinking that, they've, like, that they're just awesome. We see that Jesus responds to him at this point like, like someone who's, who seems to be coming with some kind of like, like real concern for, for what it means to take hold of Christ. In the ESV it says Jesus looking at him but the word that's used there is, is much stronger than that. It's, it's, it's like a parent looks at a child that, that's hurting, that needs to be comforted. He looks at him earnestly. He looks at him with compassion. It's not just that he turned and directed his attention at him because he needed to speak to him. He, he looks at him earnestly with compassion. That's the first response to Jesus or of Jesus to this man. When he's like, hey, I've done the things. He looks at him earnestly. The second response that's recorded here is he loved him. He loved him. 
Jesus is, is reaching out to this guy that's trying to figure it out, that's trying to get it together, trying to understand what does it mean to, to, to be part of this. He's responding to him compassionately. He looks at him earnestly, he loves him, and then he speaks. And this is what he says. You lack one thing. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you idiot. You've murdered people in your heart. You've thought dirty thoughts. You've coveted. Like, no. Jesus says you lack one thing. Not ten things. One thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. And come follow me. Now the question is, what is the one thing that he lacks? That's the big question. And the answer is, he's not following Christ. See, it's easy as we read this to go, oh, it's bad to be rich. That's a no-no. Right? That's not exactly kind of what this book, we have to let it say what it says. Riches can cause problems. They do make it harder, and we'll get to why. But the one thing that he's lacking here is he's not following Jesus. He's following. He's finding his comfort in. He's finding his hope, his security, his identity in the worldly comfort, the worldly wealth that he has. Rather than in God and his promised Messiah. And so, Jesus, you lack one thing. So do this. Get rid of the thing that you're finding your comfort in. Get rid of the thing that you're finding your hope and your security and identity in. And follow me instead. See, what Jesus says, the one thing he's lacking, it is in this case, it has to do with his riches, but it's really about the fact that this idol needs to be replaced with Jesus. That's what he's lacking. That's the one thing. Come, follow me. And we know this is an issue because we have the man's response recorded in the next verse. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had a lot of stuff. He was very well off. We don't know how he got rich. We don't know what the issue, like, like, like what his line of work was. In, in other gospel accounts, he's called a ruler of some sort. But he had a lot. A whole lot. And it gave him his hope. And it gave him his security. And it gave him his identity. And Jesus was saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that's got to go. All of that has to go. And you have to follow me. One of the ways that that we can be certain that, that we have an idol in our life is if the thought of getting rid of it undoes us. Now, I'm not I'm not talking about in the sense of like losing a loved one, right? Like if, if the, thought of, the, the thought of your spouse or, or one of your children or one of your parents dying, that should make you sad, right? You shouldn't be like, 
missed one there, right? Like, no, that should make you sad, okay? But if it undoes you, if it leaves you in a, I don't know who I am without them. I don't know what I live for without them. I don't know what security I have without them. Then we've got an issue. Having a job is a good thing, you know, and, and providing for your family is a good thing. But if who you are, your, your hope, your security, your identity is wrapped up in that, and, and the thought of losing that, that job, that reputation, that money, those relationships, whatever it is, if the thought of losing that undoes you so that you feel completely vulnerable and exposed and and, and unsecure and unsafe and forgotten now we've got a problem health is a great thing but if the thought of losing it undoes you now we're at getting at what Jesus is talking about and what happened to this man He was undone by what Jesus said. Because what Jesus asked of him was to get rid of the idol and replace it with me. Get rid of the thing in which you find your hope and your security and your identity and find all of that in me. Jesus looks around and he says to his disciples, so, so the, conver- the conversation with the man's over. That's it. There is no kind of coming back around in the story where Jesus is like, repent, believe in me, and you'll be saved also. Like, no, the guy just goes away sad. And that's the story with this man. And then the conversation shifts from, from Jesus' interaction with this guy that his disciples have been overhearing. And, and Jesus looks around and then he says to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it would be easy here to to cry wealth and and all of these things. And there's a sense in which we need to, right? We need to let the passage say what it actually says. And there is an issue. There is a reality. And I want to be very careful here. I'm not saying it's a sin to be well off. It's not. Sometimes, and and we see this throughout the Bible, Jesus just blesses people's socks off financially, and it's fantastic. That happens, and that's not a sin. But it can cause problems. Because it can put you in a position where in this world, you are perfectly secure. Or at least it feels like it. It can, it can put you in a position where we're in this world. You, you do have this, this great reputation and this great identity and, and, and people look up to you and think, oh man, if I could just get there. I remember one time when I was in seminary, let me emphasize that because that means something. I was in seminary. What it means isn't that I'm educated. What it means is that we were broke. Okay? So I remember one time when I was in seminary, I used to dress nicer than I do, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and we had been to church, and so I was, I was out for like an afternoon walk. The kids were down for a nap, and, uh, and, and Annie 
probably was down for a nap. And, and, and so I went for a walk around the neighborhood and I had on like dress pants and dress shoes and a dress shirt. I look good, right? And this, this high school kid in the neighborhood, like didn't know him, had never met this dude, never talked. He looks at just seeing me walk down the street. It's like, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. You know, I'm thinking like seminary student, like I'm about to share Jesus with somebody. He's like, you look like you've got it together. What do I need to do to end up where you are? And I was like, man, you need to find a new role model. That's what you need to do. Every stitch of clothing I'm wearing, my parents bought for me, and I'm almost 30 years old. You need a new role model. But he saw someone who was dressed nice and thought success, a goal. That's part of the problem with having a lot. Is people think, and then we think, I'm secure. Anything that could happen, car breaks, AC goes out, medical bills, there's money in the bank. It's not a problem. And we forget how desperately needy we actually are. That all of that can go away in seconds. And that actually provides only temporal security. So, so we need to hear that. We need to hear that because all of us, they're, they're, I don't think there's anyone in here, and if you say, I would be that way, I will, after church, in the sanctuary, to your face, call you a liar, okay? I don't think there's anyone in here that would come up and say, I don't want more money. I don't think that would, I don't think more money would, would make my life better. You're bull. We all do. We would all love to, to pay that bill and know how we're going to pay it. We would all love another zero on our savings or retirement or have a retirement account. We would, look. So we need to hear that. It's not the answer. It doesn't provide what, what it says it provides. But then listen to what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. There's something important left out there. He doesn't say anything about wealth. First, he says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Yes. Then he just says more broadly, and you could say, oh, well, he's just repeating without a... Well, he, perhaps. But he might be making a more broad point, which is how the disciples take it, by the way. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard. Why? We'll get to that. Then he gives this analogy. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He goes back to, to the riches because he still has this guy in view. And, and we've done all kinds of funny things with this metaphor that he uses here. We, we've come up with a, a gate that was called the, the needle gate or the camel gate or something that supposedly camels had to get down on all fours. And I don't even know if camels actually do that. I do know that no such gate existed until at least the ninth century. So probably not what Jesus is talking about here. He, he's actually making a metaphor saying it can't happen. And we know that because that's how his disciples take it. 
And that's how Jesus takes it in the next couple of verses. So this isn't like, oh, it's really hard, but if you try and you get down on all fours, you can get through. No, don't gut what Jesus is saying. He's saying it can't happen. A camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. It just won't happen. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Notice they also don't say, well, then how can the rich be saved? And their concern isn't about the the rich in the world. Most of the disciples were not rich. There was Matthew, the tax collector. He probably had some, some money on hand, but most of them probably didn't. And and their concern gets universalized. Then who can be saved? If that's the case, if it's this hard to get into the kingdom of God, then who can be saved? And here we're back to the question that started this whole conversation. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But the what must I do part is gone. It's just, well, well, then who can be saved? If that's the case, If it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, what gives, Jesus? What gives? Jesus looked at them earnestly. Same word used as when he looked at the rich young ruler. He looks at him with compassion. And again, he speaks. With man, it is impossible. That's the issue. With man, it's impossible. That's what his disciples are catching on to. Wait a minute. This dude, like, he he, he was a righteous man in Israel and and appears to have been blessed by God and, and and, 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 and you're telling us that he can't get in? Then who can, Jesus? Well... On your own, no one. If it's up to you, fulfilling a checklist, following all the rules, getting everything right, oh yeah, no, that's impossible. It's not a get down on all fours and try real hard and, and you know, oochie through, no. It's impossible, Jesus says. It cannot be done. So this this forces us or prompts us to ask this question of ourselves. Are we trying to do it on our own? Is there something other than Jesus that we're relying on for our hope, our security, our identity, thinking that having that, that getting that will commend us to God? Some level of righteousness. Some level of obedience to to the law, some level of obedience to to culture, some level uh, of success in this life. Jesus says it's impossible with man. Who can be saved? If you're relying on you, no one. With man, it is impossible but not with God. For all things are possible with God. 
all things are possible with God. And so here is we can, where, where we can look at people that, that have riches and say, hey, that there's a warning that you need to hear here, but, but Jesus isn't saying because you're rich, you're automatically necessarily on the outside. No, 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 he can save you too. But this is where we need to say to all of us that, that have this propensity to find our hope and our security and identity in something other than Jesus and, and constantly run after the, the, all of us that, 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 that Calvin rightly said about us, our heart is a perpetual factory of idols, just cranking them out, cranking them out, cranking them out, one thing after another to bow down to. Even we, even we can be saved. Why? Because it's God who does the saving. It's God who sent his son to die for our sin. It's God who knew us and knew when the right time to send his son to die was. And that right time was while we were sinners. No sinner, no matter how vile we may think they are, is out of the reach of God's saving grace. No one. So Peter begins talking, which is always fun. See, we left everything and followed you, and then Jesus probably like interjects here. Peter, stop. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. And then he lists a whole bunch of stuff. Here's the promise that we have in Christ. We will not leave this life behind to follow Jesus and not get him and all that comes with him. There is no scenario in which you leave everything in this life to follow Christ and he doesn't care for you. That's not a scenario that exists. That's not a scenario that exists. Walk away from everything in this world to follow Jesus and you will get Jesus. You will. But as long as you're pursuing this world and what it offers instead of Christ, you won't get Christ. Now, that doesn't mean everybody becomes a missionary, everybody becomes a preacher. No, God calls us to follow him in the particular vocations to which he calls us. But he's calling us to follow Christ and Christ alone in those vocations. And then this is what he says we get. And and look, if you want to say, oh, well, the preacher, he went full on health and wealth this morning. I'm just reading Jesus' words. Leave all that. Now in this time, you will receive a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. 
with persecutions. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was super on board until the last prepositional phrase. I follow you. I give up this world. And I follow you. And I somehow get even more. That sounds amazing. With persecutions. What, what's going on there, Jesus? As the world hated me, so it will hate you. See, the, the, the reason this isn't health and wealth gospel is because Jesus never promises, follow me and your life will go perfectly. No. Follow me, walk with me, and, and yes, you will have my people. You will have my kingdom around you. And some of us have gotten to see that in our lives, where we have found ourselves in some desperate spot for one reason or another, and we look up and we're surrounded by the kingdom of God in the form of sinners saved by grace, pouring out the love of God, pouring out the provision of God on us. And we think, wow, wow, he has me, he has me. But with that will come persecutions in this world. We, we will suffer in this world because the world hates Jesus. And if we're following him, it's going to hate us too. And Jesus includes that phrase there because he wants us to understand that if you follow me and it gets hard, which it will, that doesn't mean I've forgotten you. That doesn't mean I've abandoned you. It means the world knows who you're following. And they don't like it. And in the age to come, eternal life. Remember where this question started. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then it gets brought up again. Then who can be saved? Here's what Jesus says. Put off everything that you're doing to find your hope, security, and identity in this world and follow me and you'll be saved. Put off everything that you're doing in your actions, in your works, in your performance to commend yourself to God and follow me. Rest wholly on me. Throw yourself at the foot of my cross and you will be saved. Put off everything you're doing to avoid God's wrath and accept that I've already settled that for you. And you will be saved. The answer to this man's question. The one thing that he lacked. The answer to the disciples' question. Is Jesus. Because he has paid it all. He has satisfied God's wrath. He has purchased eternal life for us. He has paid the price for our sin. By his blood, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands has been canceled. 
run to him and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the gospel. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us to believe this blessed word. That we might recognize that we bring nothing to the table. And we get everything. Because all of it has been secured by Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to put off all of our doing, all of our striving, all of our trying, and rest in Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.